Hello and welcome back to The Bunker with me, Andrew Harrison. Right about now, like all right-thinking people, I should be struggling along public transport with a tent, wellies and plastic bottles full of DIY summer cocktails on my way to Glastonbury. That's not happening this year and suddenly all those old joke features about how to recreate Glastonbury in your back garden aren't such a joke anymore. The live music industry has been devastated by the pandemic. Venues that have closed may never reopen and generations of artists who've been told that playing live would replace their lost income from record sales now find that they can't play live either. Meanwhile, the government found no space for a representative from the music business on its cultural renewal task force, but did have space for the English National Ballet's artistic director and the founder of lastminute.com. Is this an industry killer for a business that, before the pandemic, generated £5.2 billion annually and a further £2.7 billion in export revenue? Here to help me understand all this is James Wright of the United Talent Agency, which looks after some 35 artists, everyone from Underworld to Common to Empire of the Sun. He's been an agent for over 10 years, and his job is strategy. Hello, James. How are you doing? Yeah, yeah, very well, thank you. Nice to nice to speak to you, Andrew. Thank, thanks for joining us. Um, for listeners who perhaps don't know the, the music industry uh, particularly intimately, can you explain what exactly do you do? What does an agent do? Well, yeah, as you said, I'm a music agent, and I, I am really responsible for the live touring careers of of the artists that we represent um, here in the UK and around around the world. That can be anything from their their own shows in venues to to festival f- performances uh, here in the UK, as I said, and, and around the world. You, I think you said at the top of the call, we, we represent 35 artists. I personally represent between 30 and 35, but as a company, we represent hundreds of artists, you know, in the music space from, you know, Post Malone to Lauren Hill, Christina McQueen's, Guns N' Roses. You know, we've got a, a mass array of artists, or global artists that work, uh, you know, traditionally known for touring, you know, so that's, our space so what is the scale of the damage to the live industry that that covid has 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 wrought? i mean is it possible at this stage to give figures yeah well I, i've been reading over the last couple of weeks a lot of a lot into the figures and and and, and as you said i think at the top that you know the the uk music industry contributes you know 5.2 billion to the economy and sustains you know 200,000 jobs that's what music uk music suggests and then the live sector within that is 1.1 billion of it. Mm. And, you know, we won't see any live business of any merit this year, potentially, you know, and they've, they've sort of suggested the estimates are around 900 million. To the, that's the damage. And the Music Venue Trust has just asked to the government for a £50 million injection to stop mass closures in venues across across the country. Do you, a, is that enough? B, do you expect it to happen? C, is this a kind of a, 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 a sound way to preserve the industry going forward? Is it enough? Probably not. Is, it, is there a real risk of these closures? Absolutely, yes. You know, I think they're citing 90, 90% of venues are at real risk of closure between now and whenever we sit, see ourselves getting out of this. Is it, you know, is it the right thing to do is sustainable? I think so, because the Music Venue Trust, for the first time in, I think, 15 years, announced that last year more venues were opening than closing. Right. So we were, we were getting it right. The business was getting it right. And, and so to get through this, you would argue that it's not the business's 
fault. Therefore, it should be supported to get itself through it. Going to live music has, has it's become it's taken a different place in national life, hasn't it? Over the past sort of you know fifteen to twenty years, going to gigs used to be something that was uh, perhaps uh, you know a bit of a specialist interest. It, not everybody did it. Now everybody until the pandemic, everybody does it. And it, it seems to be, you know, for all that, it's not really seen as being central to, you know, it's not seen as valued by the government. If they can't find space for, for the live business on uh, a task force to renew the entire cultural life of the country. Yeah, I mean, it was incredibly disappointing to see that, you know. And I, I mean, I would argue your point as slightly that it, it, it's, it's, it's always been a popular sort of, of entertainment. You know, gigs have always been, you know, been there you know stadiums and arenas have, have always been filled the mass you know commercialization of the arena business of course is, has grown but the the interest from the public has always been there and as you rightly say we have no one championing live music in the task force there is a working group you know as you can probably imagine i've had to become slightly more of an expert over the last couple of weeks in the internal politics of of UK government, but there is seems to be something called a working group in which sits underneath the task force that does have the uh, you know concert promoters association, the arena association in it, and they are at the coalface of this. But again, you know, to give you some context here, you know, the UK business music business was. Uh, uh, 5.2 billion you know the uk theater business i think i read in the guide in a, a week or so ago contributed uh 1.3 billion in 2008 so the uk music business is four times that mm. how has this impacted your own business i mean what kind of measures did you have to take when it became clear that all these tours that you've planned not just months but years ahead are at, at best going to be postponed and in some cases just not going to happen I mean, I'm not going to lie, there was an element of uh, rabbit in headlights moment for most of us and a lot of scratching our heads because, you know, we'd had it, we'd had it okay for quite a long time. You know, we, you know, the live music business, you know, was, you know, got through the 2008 recession without much issue, you know, that sort of dispensing of you know, money for the pub, cinema tickets, you know, gig tickets seemed to do okay. And then, you know, the demise of the record business and physical product and then the slow uptake of streaming meant that the record business was struggling, but live has always done okay. And then this comes. We all thought it was going to be Brexit that was going to knock us. And no one was predicting this. So, you know, uh, my group, you know, within the touring section, it, it, it only works with gigs happening and audiences buying tickets and artists making money. So it turned off like a light switch in March. You know, we were... We're lucky within our particular company, UTA, that we've got a very diverse revenue streams, you know, be it through esports and digital influencers that we also work with. But in general, in the music touring business, you know, we saw it coming from Asia in, you know, in the early part of the year. We were all like, oh, dear, that sounds pretty bad. But, you know, you know, it's not going to come here, is it? You know, and then, you know, and then poor Italy, you know, we all felt sorry for the Italian promoters and like, oh, my gosh, you know, can't tour in Italy for a while. And then here comes March, you know, March 15 or whenever it was. And, you know, we had bands out on the road that we were seeing that, you know, talking to tour managers every couple of hours going, is there a band in place? Can we do this show? Even if we can do the show, will fans want to be there? Is it right to do the show? Are we letting our fans down by doing the show? Are we legally allowed to do the show? All this stuff over a couple of weeks in March was uncharted territory for, for a lot of people. Did you have to take special measures to get people back home from countries where effectively going out had been 
you know, a bit cancelled. No, not so much special measures, only the fact that they probably had to, you know, you know, I, I had one art, uh, one band in particular that came, was all the way over f- from Australia and was mid-tour and I had to make the decision to cancel. In fact, we had to, we had to cancel the UK, one of the UK shows before Boris Johnson announced a formal mass gathering ban. So we had to make the very difficult decision based on what you know if you remember there was terminology around advised against which if you're under a performance contract isn't kind of covered and therefore we have to make these quite difficult decisions to break up tours halfway through during that period and you know there was out-of-pocket expenses absolutely they they had to fly home early they had to pay their crew they had to pay their production because it was mid-tour so yeah there were financial implications and presumably in a lot of cases uh, you know it's not going to be the case for every tour it's not going to be the same but presumably insurance will not have covered events like that when you've had to make a judgment call yourself rather than obey an instruction yeah, and even if you're paying instruction, um, you know, force majeure is force majeure, and the, the the general consensus that you know most in most cases you're not covered for COVID-related cancellations. But those of us who who are music fans know that the entire industry reorientated itself towards live, and often bands that you expected you'd never see tour again are suddenly you know quite busy on the circuit. Particularly if like me, you know, you're you're a bit older and you love bands from the from the eighties and the early nineties. They're suddenly very very active again because it's the only dependable stream. How are bands? themselves able to an artist able to deal with this sudden turning off of projected income because obviously they've all got their own support structures they've got crew they've got offices to run you know is that have you seen ways that bands have been able to react to this to, to cope with it i mean i would say that a well-managed band should be able to ride this out as long as assuming for this for the argument sake that live touring does come back in some some form or we're all, we're all in trouble but you know they should be able to, they should be able to the bands that you know you know the bands that you love and know if well managed should be able to get through this because touring models are based on scaling up and scaling down so but it really is the people behind the scenes that will struggle it will be the people that are freelance engineers freelance tour managers people that are you know, some managers are, are company directors and therefore can't take advantage of the furloughing scheme because they can't furlough themselves. So these are the kinds of behind the scenes problems that the UK business, UK music business needs to needs to find support for. It is Glastonbury Week, as I mentioned at the top. I mean, yeah, it is by some measure the world's most significant festival. What does the loss of Glastonbury and the, and the summer festival season mean for for your business? I know I was in the car this morning with the kids and, and, and Six Music had, had a, uh, you know, a bit on Glastonbury and I realised this year would have been my 15th consecutive one if I'd gone, which oh. is sad. It's an it's immensely important part of any artist's career, the, the, the festival scene across UK and Europe. You know, the, the fascination that the, the general public have with the festival, be it here and in Europe and, and generally globally now, is... It, you can't. It's inc- impossible to measure how important it is to an artist's career at any level. It's a big earner for the established acts. It's a route through to success uh, as a developing act, and to not have that in their in their diary here is immensely challenging. It will arguably mean that some bands that were kicking off this year may not get their moment. It will mean that you know that that some established acts will get put back a couple of years because of it. 
you know but again it's the behind the scenes stuff it's the it's the not the sexy stuff it's not the you know it's not the ed sheeran's on the stage although arguably i wouldn't necessarily use particularly sexy but (laughs) you get my point though it's the poor managers it's the security staff it's the food and beverage businesses it's the you know the people that put up the the wall around glastonbury they all employed locally that ecosystem is is cut off this year yeah well another ecosystem that's being cut off is that we sort of touched on earlier was the is the uh, the, the smaller venues leading to the larger ones and the pat the, the fact that you know uh, an emerging band now will often you know follow a, a path not dissimilar from a band of the 1960s you will tour you will play you will you will appear a lot and you will kind of build your audience um that way and that uh, you know at best it's been put on pause but do, do you think it's going to come back in the same way or you know or have we perhaps seen you know the, the the peak of live music in its current incarnation if we can get support if these grassroots venues can survive until the business is online again will be fine it's that's the big if we just don't know you know the you know in the in the ft you know i was reading this morning i think about the teg group in australia looking to eye up uk venues to buy teg group is a big venue operator and promoter based it's an australian based company but it's invested uh silver lake the um investment firm has invested in them and they've got a very aggressive business strategy now to me if silver lake are looking to buy uk venues arguably you know my my language not what the fts on the cheap Mm -hmm. then you would say that surely that's enough of a commercial reason for the government to put their hand in the pocket and get them through this you know we were looking i think if you we were speaking at the beginning of oh mid-march end of march i would have said oh you know we're we're looking at a v-shaped recovery i think arguably we're looking at a fat U at best mm. and you know, not, not to not to stretch it too far but you know no one no one is looking for a W you know that's the general reality of it and and my hope is that the government will see a commercial reason now if, if someone like Silver Lake is looking to buy venues so that is at least in its way it's a vote of confidence even if it is I, and I've, I've forwarded that on to a, you know the UK live music group this morning and, and UK music because I think that's what we've got to be saying look if you don't want us at the table you don't want to hear from us and you'd rather hear about theatres then at least say that we, there's a commercial reason to get involved and, and as I said you know for the first time the the grassroots you know music venues are, are expanding and not decreasing you know first time in 15 years and these people that go into these operating these venues or owning these venues aren't doing it for money. You know, this is, you know, I think um, Music Venue Trust quoted 65% of their revenue is from bar sales. This is a tough business, but it's based on people's love affair with music and, and, and arts in general. You know, a lot of, I think there's been a stigma over the years, which I think, you know, um, has finally gone about it being sort of like, sticky floors cheap lager sweaty young people hanging out you know running around causing riots but the reality is is that these are cultural institutions now these are these are also you know your local cinemas your your folk clubs your bars you know you know and and things like this so this is how people need to view them and the importance of them i gotta say i would give my eye teeth for sticky floors cheap lager and a load of young people running around shouting right now i'd give an i'd give my left leg for that after 12 weeks of not I work with three shows a week on normal, and I haven't been to a show in in sixteen weeks. And I, I am, I am. It's causing me all kinds of trouble. So. Are, you, are you climbing the walls? Because I am. 
so much. <laughs> I just want a really warm, cheap, well, warm, overpriced lager. That's all I want. <laughs> yeah, any lager of any kind. Um, <laughs> touring is also a massively international business. Uh, you know, it is all about travel. And you mentioned Brexit earlier. That was already going to put the spokes in the wheels of many, many British artists and artists particularly use British crew because it's, you know, it's often the case that tours will start here, won't they? Because, you know, our crews are known to be, to be, to be pretty good. Do you think yeah. that, I mean, we, you know, we've seen countries opening up in a very, very, well, should we say individual way? Each country opens up differently. Each country will allow people from certain places, not from others. Can you see the touring industry, the international touring industry, being able to navigate this massively more complicated uh, immigration system when, in fact, particularly in Europe, we've been used to just being able to roll over the borders, you know, with a big lorry full of instruments? Yeah, I think the movement of, um, there's two points. There's, I think the, the issue around quarantining at the moment and how long that extends for around the COVID situation is an alarming situation that we're going to have to deal with at some point. There needs to be some cohesive plan around that. The movement of people, I'm less worried about because these are treated as business individuals and therefore probably can be bundled in with 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 the you know finance sectors and no one wants finance people to stop moving and trading mm-hmm. because the, the wheels really do come off. My concern is, as you say, around freight and you know being held up on borders and uh and you know things like this and the paperwork required and and i think that stuff is where the industry needs information and clarity and confidence because uh the movement of of trucks and things like that could be could be a real issue mm. we mentioned what the government has or has not been doing do you think the business itself is doing enough because uh, you know the popular image out there, not necessarily true, but the popular image is that the music business is a very, a very rich business, and that particularly the recorded music industry is uh, is very cash rich. What, you know, what is the industry doing? Uh, you know, off its own bat to deal with this, and is it doing enough? Do you think? Well, first of all, we the live music business has no income; it's got zero income, and and you know the I think the record business, to some extent, I would agree, could potentially be doing more. To support and understand the the vital role that live touring plays, you know, for it. But you know, I think we, I think there is needs to be an understanding that there isn't a fundamental flaw in our business. It's not as if you know the world woke up in the middle of March and went, "Oh my God, why do we go to live gigs? It's disgusting." You know, it's you know, overpriced. No one has any fun. It's a waste of everyone's time and effort, and you have to get there on public transport because you can't park. No one did that. The business model is sound. It's just this beast came along, and no one was expecting it. So I think there needs to be a real understanding that that we were doing okay. I I would actually go. I would actually argue that the government should be more engaged in music and not rely on the on how commercially savvy the music business has become, because I think we're cutting off you know, a young, a younger workforce, you know, a young um, student population from entering the business because it, you know, because it needs support at that grassroots level. But we were doing okay and this came along. So I, I think there is a responsibility here on, on government to really support us getting through this so that we can just get back to business. There is one thing we keep hearing about, though, uh, which runs across the hospitality business as well as the entertainment business, fear of going out, FOGO replacing FOMO, the idea that, mm-hmm. Things may open, but people may be, you know, they may have trepidation about about taking part. Do you, is that a factor for you guys? 
I think it. I'll be. I, it'd be easier for me to dismiss dismiss that and say no. Mm. Um, but I think it's. I think it's probably fair to, to to dig into it a little bit. I yeah. I think with the older demographic of the sort of fifty plus audience, I can see it having a, a sort of mirroring effect with, the, you know, the sad reality of how this this pandemic is affecting you know the, the older population, and therefore, you know, if I was in you know my fifties or sixties. Uh, and I was not not necessarily at high risk, but I'm seeing the same stats as everyone else is. Would I be totally comfortable about going to you know to an arena sitting you know sitting close to someone else that they don't know? So so I, I can understand that argument. I think a younger audience. I don't think this is going to be a problem. Mm. I think they are itching to get back and see things when it's safe to do so. And I think the the fear for the older audience can easily be handled with good messaging, good public uh, understanding, and uh, and a plan, a simple plan. I mean, it, the, the older audience is massively important, you know, the kind of the mojo reader, the, the kind of box set buyer, the person who can happily pay 70 quid for a decent ticket um, somewhere. Um, does the, you know, because, and, and who sustains the heritage acts that have, that have driven a lot past a lot of the, the, the live industry, is that a sector do you, that you think the industry ought to target? That you ought to be kind of you know, finding ways to make it easier for a sixty-year-old music fan to attend more shows? Um, I, I think they attend a lot of shows. Mm. You know, I I, I think it, it, it's an area that is well well covered. You know, you know, we I, I represent a, you know and have represented a lot of acts that attract an older audience. We they th- there's a there's certainly a lot of venues that target that demographic from. You know the the Royal Albert Halls, Royal Festival Halls of the world, through to you know the you know Symphony Halls in Birmingham and the and the O2s Arena. You know, I think the audience that that audience has no problem turning out to see the band that they love. My concern is just making sure that we can make it very clear that it's safe to do so. Just to wrap up, then we sort of talked uh, at the beginning about the lack of representation on the cultural renewal task force, the kind of question mark about what, what government is going to do to help or what it could do. What would you like, can you give us concrete examples of what you'd like it to do? For instance, there's been talk of cutting VAT on tickets and, you know, mm. possibly kind of taking a different approach to uh, you know, income support for um, freelance people. What if, if you were suddenly live music czar and they hauled you in on the cultural renewal task force and said, here you go, what would you be trying to enact? Well, once the power had uh, drained from my head, <laughs> and I hadn't just put all my favourite bands onto a uh, to a gig. It would be. I mean, we need a plan. We need a we need a plan. And, and I think the, this is one place where the theatre uh, group and our group is, is in a similar place. You know, theatre. You know, bars can come on if if they allow for bars to open tomorrow. I guarantee that most bars could open by tomorrow or the following day. If they said the same thing to the music business or the theatre business, that's just not possible. Mm. It can take four to six months to get us up, up and running, certainly the certainly the theatre business. You know, there needs to be a serious discussion and plan around social distancing. And obviously that's a very hot, hot, hot topic right now. It looks like things might change. But it's not necessarily about reducing it. It's about understanding and having a public awareness that our business doesn't work really with any social distancing in place and that just needs to be understood by government and there needs to be a constant dialogue about that and how if it is eventually taken away what are the conditions in which they may reinstate it 
Um, there needs to be a commitment for the furloughing scheme to extend it. And as you rightly said, you know, a lot of this is around about, you know, around young freelance men and women that have either, you know, new to it working independently, new to the, you know, professional working place that are sound engineers in their local venues that are now looking down the rest of the year going, what have I done? Oh. They, they thought the whole of 2019, you know, that this was the career for them. This is the business for them. And we were saying, look, this is the business for you. We employ 200,000 people come in. And then this happens. So there needs to be an understanding, support, you know, extension of the business loans and the furloughing scheme. Look on the bright side, though, when it does come back, it is going to be amazing, isn't it? I mean, people are going to be it's, it's going to feel like, you know, your opportunity to do something you, you thought you might not be able to do again. It's going to be pretty uh, exciting. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of people uh, letting loose, shall we say. Mm. <laughs> it's going to be good and it needs to happen. Um, you know, this 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 country's you know, cultural backbone is, is this, and it's been taken away from a lot of people that even if they don't go to that many shows, I think people like the idea that this is in the ecosystem. This is part of the fabric of our society. And, and it's incredibly valuable. You know, they, whenever you've got to think about it, whenever there's a big occasion, you know, a queen's birthday, jubilee or something happening, they always roll out the concert, don't they? There's always the, this is the charity, you know, the, you know, in Hyde Parks, you know, these big moments, they always rely on the artist. You know, it has to be really big. You know, our, our music, I, I always tend to think our music is what is what we have where the United States has Hollywood. You know, this, this is what, you know, their, their world is, their, their cultural centrepiece is, is the movies, ours is music. And it, I, I sort of don't feel like it's, it's valued enough by government, which is happy to put posters up saying music is great and happy to sort of, uh, you know, cite their favorite band in an interview with radio four but when it comes down to it they just don't really want to support it in the way they'd support um, other entertainment it's true and i think the 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 point is is that the music export is the issue here you know we won't be able to export these we don't have musicians to export anymore because there won't be the infrastructure there for them well let's hope that something crystallizes in the minds of, of our government on this one james wright thanks very much for joining us on the bunker what gig are you most looking forward to yourself i've, I've got uh, i spent a fortune on tickets for new order and the pet shop boys in new york and it's been put back a year so god knows if it's even gonna happen how about yourself what are you most looking forward to i'm looking forward to standing in a field any field listening to a band holding a, a, a slightly lukewarm cider um, looking straight at a band and, and enjoying the crowd, having a wonderful time. And I, I, my hope is I'll be able to do that uh, next summer. Well, this time next year, I will see you in Worthy Farm and I will buy you that pint and we can uh, and we, we can look back, hopefully, on how it all got fixed. Thanks so much for joining us. It's been really interesting. Listeners, we'll be back tomorrow with another edition of The Bunker. I'm off to set up a tent in the back garden and hope it rains. We'll see you all next time. Thanks. Bye-bye. Presented by Andrew Harrison. The assistant producer was Jacob Archbold, and audio production was by me, Alex Reese. Theme tune by Kenny Dickinson. The Bunker Daily is a Podmasters production. Bunker.